Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. Thank you. Um, the reading today is taken from uh, Matthew chapter 22, and it's verses 34 to 40. So I'll just give you a brief moment to find it if you've got your paper Bible. And the passage is the greatest commandment. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. Okay, we have Anna, part of our team here. Thank you. Is going to come and speak to us. Um, do you want the lectern, Anna? Are you happy there? You would like it? Okay. All right, let's pray for Anna. If you want to extend, how about extend a hand to Anna and place the other hand, if you're able, onto your heart as we pray for ourselves to receive uh, the message that Anna has for us today. Are you ready, my friend? All right. Well, Holy Spirit, we um, just thank you for Anna. And we thank you for who she is. And we thank you that uh, she is your daughter that is so pleased with her. And we pray now that you would anoint her for this moment, that you would uh, give her your words uh, to speak. And we pray for ourselves, Lord, that you would right now open our hearts and our minds to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Lovely to see you. Late in the first century BC, around the time when uh, Jesus was alive, there was a young Gentile man who made a trek over the Mediterranean Sea to Israel to find the most famous rabbis of the day. He found two famous rabbis, Shammai and Halal. And he said to them, teach me the entire Torah whilst I stand on one leg. Now Shammai, one of the most famous rabbis, went to chase him away with a stick. Whereas Rabbi Halal responded with this, what is hateful for you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. Everything else is interpretation. What is hateful for you, do not do to your neighbor. Everything else is interpretation. Now, around the time that Jesus would have been ministering, people were preoccupied with knowing what law was the most important? What, in other words, is God's vision for human flourishing? What 
is God asking of me? Put another way, what is the meaning of life? What is the target that I am aiming towards? What is the target that I'm aiming for? This is a question that every culture and every generation has asked. Today in the modern West, we are still asking that question, aren't we? What is life all about? Is there more to life? Am I just an animal or do I have a soul? When I die, how will I know if I've truly lived? Now, the culture that we live in is looking within itself to answer those questions. It's certainly not turning to God, and it's certainly not turning to Scripture. But in first century BC, they would have looked to the Jewish Scriptures to ask that question. What is life about? And this is the question posed to Jesus. This is the question that he is asked in this text. And he responds like this. He actually quotes Deuteronomy. He quotes the Old Testament. You'll notice in the scripture when it came up on the screen that it came in quotation marks because it is quoting Old Testament scripture. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So what's Jesus saying? What is the target that we are aiming for? What is life all about? Well, it's about loving God, giving your loyalty and your allegiance, giving everything that you have with all that you are to God, every part of you, undivided. A whole life orientation towards loving God and trusting God. I believe that you are born with the ability to love. I believe that you know how to love. I believe that you are a creature of love. That isn't the problem. The problem isn't whether or not you love. The problem is what we love. And you and I live with divided hearts. This is our problem. We live with hearts that are divided. Our loyalty, our attention is divided. And yet, The life that we are aiming towards, the life of meaning is the life where your whole heart, all your allegiance is pointed and directed towards Jesus with all that you have. So Jesus is saying, if you want to live a life of meaning, grow your heart towards God. Focus your love and your adoration towards God. But he doesn't stop there. You'll notice that they asked him for the one greatest commandment, but he gives them two. Because you can't just love God on your own, on its own. As you love God, Jesus says, there's going to be a second part. There's going to be an overflow. There's going to be something that comes out of that. As you grow your heart towards God, you will love others, Jesus says. You will love your neighbor. This is what he says. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. Whether that be a friend or an enemy, the rich or the poor, people like us or people very different from us, we are called to love others 
as much as we love ourselves. Not instead of ourselves, and we see that all the time, don't we, that people that love others at the cost of themselves, not instead of ourselves, but as much as ourselves. The two come together. You cannot divide them. Loving God and loving others come, according to Jesus, as a package deal. You can't do one without the other. Could you imagine a world, imagine with me just for one second, a world where we actually loved our neighbours as ourselves, where we actually loved the people around us as ourselves. What would happen if we did this? What kind of a world would that be like to live in? So Jesus is saying the measure of whether you or I have truly lived is how much we are able to love. Our capacity for love is the measure. Praying, fasting, doing Sabbath, even being zealous and devout, even doing acts of justice does not make you spiritually mature. That is not the sign of spiritual maturity. The Pharisees did all those things. The Pharisees studied the Torah. The Pharisees fasted. The Pharisees prayed. Yet you and I would not say that they were spiritually mature. They were judgmental. They were defensive. They were mean. They were closed-minded. And they were unsafe to be around. Practices and spiritual disciplines do not make your eye spiritually mature. They are not the goal. The goal of all those practices is simply to become people who love more, people who have a greater capacity for love. The only way we can measure how far down the path towards Jesus we are is through the metric of love. Pete Scazzaro says, loving people well is the defining characteristic of a mature Christian. So how are we doing at loving? What's your capacity for love right now? You can do a lot of good acts that are totally devoid of love. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, they're just noise. They mean nothing if they don't have love in them. You can do justice without love. We see that. You can do a really good Sabbath that doesn't have any love. You can do silence and solitude without love. If they are done without love, they are empty. These things only matter when they are done with love. And the thing that what I'm so convinced of this, the thing that God wants to grow in you is your capacity to receive and give love. So what is love? We've been talking about love for the last uh, four weeks. What is love? How would we define it? Well, love is different from desire. Let's just make that clear. Desire is about consuming things for our own pleasure. So if we talk about loving cake, you don't love cake, you want to consume cake. If you loved cake, you would look after cake, protect cake. Tend to cake. You don't love cake. You desire cake. You want to consume it. That is what desire is. Wanting to, to take something on to yourself for your own gratification. <laughs> I don't know if that's a clap for cake. Or... 
Often we say we love things and what we mean is we desire them. I want to consume that thing for my own pleasure. I want to take from it and not to give it. We believe things exist for our benefit. Our culture has made other people and even God something that exists for our gratification. That is not love. Here is what love is. Tune in for this bit. Love is the intention to do good to another. Love is seeking what is good for another person. Michael Wilkins, who's an amazing scholar who's done some great work on Matthew in particular, said this, love is an unconditional commitment to an imperfect person in which one wants to give oneself to another to move that person towards God's intended purpose. Love is wanting to move someone towards their intended purpose in God. Dallas Willard said this, love is the divine movement that reconstructs our world for God. Love is wanting to help reconstruct someone's world towards God. What a definition of love. What a vision of love. I love you. I want to see your world reconstructed towards God. I want good for you. I want to see God's intended purposes worked out in your life. That is what love says. It's giving yourself away to imperfect people in order to see good happen in their life. Sacrificing yourself and laying yourself down in order to see good happen in another. So why is love so flipping hard? Why is it so hard to conjure up love? I have this wrestle in myself all the time where I just wish I was a more loving person. I am dismayed at how little love I sometimes feel towards other people. Am I the only one? You get frustrated at the state of your own heart and you just want to act more love. You want to do more love. And you feel that if you can just make yourself love more, it will happen. Here's the thing, change that ignores the heart will not transform your life. It's a heart problem. If you're struggling to love, if you want to grow your capacity for love, we have to address what's going on in the heart. And now I want to speak into self-hatred because it's impossible to love other people. It's impossible to want good for other people, to have grace for other people. To champion, to champion God in other people's lives if you hate yourself. If you are not being good towards yourself. If you're struggling to receive love for yourself, you will never give it away. So I want to spend a second just speaking to the people in the room that feel that way at the moment. If you were to do an inventory of your inner dialogue, how do you speak to yourself? How are you feeling about yourself Are you wanting good for yourself or are you currently in a cycle of punishing yourself? Are you wanting God's intended purposes for yourself or are you currently giving in to your desires? Your ability to love will be directly correlated with your ability to receive love. Do you know that God loves you? 
Have you received God's love for you lately? This is how God has loved you. God has given himself fully to you in order that you might move towards his purposes for your life. God seeks good for you. The cross is the greatest act of love we will ever know. God laying himself down in order to see good happen in your life. In order for you to move towards God's purposes. You are loved. You are so loved. Do you know that today? Have you received that lately? Because we can't continue with this talk until you do. We can't talk about loving our neighbours until we know how to love ourselves and to receive God's love for us. The closest neighbour you have is yourself. You are a neighbour to yourself, first and foremost. The person you're in closest relationship with is yourself. So how's that relationship? So, we've talked about what is love. Next, we need to address who is our neighbour. Who is Jesus talking about when he tells us to love our neighbour? Well, if we turn to Luke 10, where um, this conversation is also recorded, Jesus answers that question himself with the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm just going to read it to us for a second. You'll know it, but I want to remind us of it this morning. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. Which of these three people do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The experts in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Who is our neighbor? The person that we will cross the road for. The person who we will go on the other side of the road for. The person that we notice. The person that we pay attention to. To pay attention to just means to say that something's important, to give it importance. Who do we want to give importance to? Who is your neighbor? The person you choose to make important. The person you choose to notice. 
The Samaritan chose to notice the man on the side of the road. And so he made him his neighbor. Who are you going to make your neighbor? It's a choice that you make. It's on your side. Who are you going to be a neighbor to? Who are you going to make important? Who's around you that you're going to notice? That you're going to give value to? Love is noticing what God is wanting to do in people's lives and participating with God to work towards that good. Love is noticing what good God is wanting to do in people's lives and then participating with God to work towards that good. So who are you going to notice? And how are you going to spot what God is wanting to do in their lives? Who are you going to get alongside and ask God, what do you want to do? What good are you doing in their lives? What's your purpose and how can I join in with it? Love is imagining a better world for the person that it loves. Love is imagining what could be possible for that person. I can see a world where. I can see a world where dot, dot, dot. One of the best neighbors this world has ever known is Martin Luther King. He shows us the heart of what being a neighbor is. Compelled by love for his people and his nation, he allows himself to dream for them. He dreams of a better life for them. He dreams of what could be for them. I can see a world, I dream of a world where African Americans are free. That was his dream. A world where there was no segregation, where there was no division. Compelled by love, he dreamt, he imagined a better world. What dreams is God giving you for your neighbor? What dreams are planted in you for this city, for Nottingham? What can you see? What can you imagine? I can see a world where, dot, dot, dot. I believe all of us are born with a transformative love in us, a love that wants to transform the world around us. We are born with a love that dreams. So what's your dream? What's your dream for your neighbor Gary Horton uh, started IGM, International Justice Mission. He's the CEO. And that really came out of spending a lot of time with the world's poorest people, especially in Cambodia, which around 15 years ago would have been ground zero for sex trafficking. And at that time, he walked the streets and discovered hundreds of children on open sale for sex traffickers and paedophiles. Driven by love for these people, he dreamt. He started to imagine. He didn't give in to fear. Fear retreats. Fear averts its gaze. Fear thinks about itself and protecting itself. If you think about like little children when they're learning to play football, they just gather around the goal, don't they? Like they just don't want, they, don't, they just go on defense, you know? They don't want any goals coming in. So they just gather around the goal in fear. 
And then as you learn to play the game, you learn that the fun is in the offense, in the attack, that you actually get to go score goals in their goal. You actually get to go and win. You're not just on the defense, you're on the offense. And that's what love does. It doesn't listen to fear. It doesn't avert its gaze. It's not afraid of darkness. It doesn't allow darkness to thrive. Instead, love wants to see God's territory advanced and takes back territory from the enemy. It advances into what is hurting and broken and wrong in the world and brings God's healing and justice and redemption. And so Gary Horton goes on the attack. He begins to dream. He says, I can see a world where the world's poorest are protected from violence and slavery. And because of his dream, he starts up IGM and scores and scores of child sex traffickers are put in jail in Cambodia. IGM have now seen 40, over 40,000 people saved from brutal violence and unspeakable abuse. And Cambodia is now reporting the demise of sex trafficking in that country. All because Gary Horton had a dream fueled by love. A love dream that said, I can imagine a world where this doesn't happen anymore. What can you imagine? What is your love dream for your neighbor? Last week, we had um, some friends visit from Northern Ireland, just came and met with our staff team, and they were telling us a story. Where they're from in Northern Ireland, they're reporting uh, the highest rates of domestic, domestic abuse in Northern Ireland, in their town. And in their congregation is a dentist. And, and he was kind of noticing that lots of women were coming in for dental work because of the violence and the abuse done to them. And out of love for these women, compelled by love for these women, he began to imagine and to dream. I can see a world where women in this town don't have to live with the shame and the embarrassment of losing their teeth because of violence done to them. And instead, they are afforded the dignity of a beautiful smile. And so as a dentist, he sets up a charity where women who are suffering from domestic abuse can receive free dental work so that they don't have to cover the cost to have their teeth repaired. That is a dream born from love. He imagined a better world. He joined in with God's purposes for his town. Love wants good. Love works for good. And so why don't we stand if we're able? And let's just start with, um, let's just start with addressing that issue of self-hatred. Why don't we close our eyes? And I think this is going to be for a number of people in the room. And if you know that you're struggling to receive God's love for you, let's just take a moment and receive that love again. God has an abundance of love available. He's not going to run out. 
and it's not just for some people in the room, it's for everyone. So come, Holy Spirit.